when Jenny and I were dating, we had different expectations about the relationship. I don't know what it was like for you if you ever dated anyone, but these expectations and assumptions would seemingly come out of nowhere. For example, I had a major paper due uh, senior year, and I needed to study and, and work and do all the stuff to, to hand in an A paper because I wanted to get an A. And so I had the expectation that for that week, Jenny and I wouldn't see each other. We wouldn't go out. We wouldn't talk to each other. Like I would focus exclusively. And I even said to her at the beginning of the week, I need to live this week as though I don't have a girlfriend. And yet she still married me. God bless her. And so Jenny, on the other hand, Jenny, on the other hand, had the expectation that if you have a major paper or assignment due, yes, you're going to spend more time and you're, you're going to work on that, but that every single day we would still be getting together. We would still be touching base. We would still, right, have some time in the relationship. These differing expectations showed up when we started going to church together. So I had an expectation about church and about getting to church on time. And so that meant for me, for me, getting to church on time meant arriving 15 minutes before the start of the service, okay? Jenny, on the other hand, had a different expectation about church. Her expectation was that we would arrive at church put together and that as long as we arrived 15 minutes after the start of the service, we were, in fact, on time. And so we would get into fights on the way to lunch after church because we had not arrived at the time that I considered to be on time. And so like so many other couples, we have experienced a lot of pain and suffering and confusion because we've made assumptions about the other person without talking to them about it. Now, teens and students, you get a front row to this and how it works when you're put into your first group assignment in public school. You now have to work with five or six other people who have different answers to these questions. What does success look like? What does my fair share mean? Come on. What does even completed mean? Okay. Now, this plays out in churches all the time. Let's assume for a moment that you're part of the large events team or that you're in charge of the large events team here at Generations, okay? And so you're doing a series of Facebook messages and emails back and forth about an upcoming event. Let's say the, the picnic that's coming up in June, okay? I think we ought to order. I think we ought to have, oh, did you hear about? And so back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And let's say that Gary is a member of this team. Now, we don't have a Gary here, so this is, this is hypothetical, okay? And let's say that Gary just shoots off a few terse replies. And so as the leader of the large events team, you see these terse replies and you, and you respond typically one of two ways. You internally think Gary's mad at me and he's upset with me and he thinks I'm a terrible leader and, and all of this anxiety starts building up on the inside. And every time, ding, the, the message alert goes off and you see that it's Gary, you can feel it in your body. Or you're more like responsive and you figure, okay, well, you're going to be terse. I'm going to be terse back. And so you send off a few terse things back, right? 
because, you know, eye for an eye or whatever it is, right? And so the next day, Gary calls you, and on the phone, he's as warm as, and as engaging as he normally is. And you realize in that moment, oh, the relationship is still good, and everything that I assumed was the case yesterday is, in fact, not the case at all. This happens with husbands and wives, okay? Uh, husband, let's say that you're the husband, and you call your wife every day. So you go to work, she goes to work, and you make a phone call every day. It's just part of the thing. You call your wife during the day at some point during the day. And so there's a call, 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 call. And then there's a day that comes and there's no call. And let's say you're the wife and the day goes and the day goes and, and you get in your car to drive home and you realize you didn't get a call that day. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I know we had a fight last night, but I thought it was resolved. And now here he hasn't even called me all day. He's turning into a passive aggressive, just like his father. And you get home, you get home and you're stewing and he comes home and acting like everything's just fine and you can't take it. So you are mad, you are upset. And so you go to bed alone and you don't talk to him. And then the next morning when you wake up again, Captain Clueless is like nothing happened. And you're thinking, what kind of a moron did I marry, right? And and so right before he goes to work, he says, hey, honey, I'm so sorry I didn't call you yesterday. There was an emergency, and they called us all in this meeting, and we're in there four hours, and I had, I had left my phone in my office. I'm sorry I didn't call you. I love you. I miss you, right? And in that moment, you realize, oh, <laughs> oh, everything that I assumed was going on in my husband wasn't going on at all, Right? Can I just, does this happen? Yes. <laughs> okay, this happens a lot. This happens all the time. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? So if you'll put up my pictures here. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he, he answered it this way. Uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's so important that at our church, it's at the very front of the sanctuary. These are the two banners at the very front of our sanctuary, the greatest commandment. Again, this series that goes from now to the end of May is about helping you and helping me be able to articulate what defines an emotionally healthy relationship and how can I love others? How can I show love to others in good and appropriate ways? And how can I receive love in good and appropriate ways? And so today's big idea is simply this, stop mind reading. Stop mind reading and clarify expectations by talking to people, talking to people in person, not talking to them in your head. So I'm going to walk out what this means. But today we're going to be in a passage of scripture that's so weird, so unusual, a lot of people say it didn't happen, and it did, and we're going to get into it, and it's Acts chapter 4, verses 32, all the way to Acts chapter 5, verse 11, okay? And so the, the scripture says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And a little later on, verse 36, there was a man named Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. 
Now, there are a couple of things that characterize the life of the early church that we see in the book of Acts. One is this common mind and purpose. They had a common mind and purpose. They were united in their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And the other is that they took care of each other, kind of like the way families are supposed to do. They took care of each other. And so if you use the whole love God and love others as a measuring stick for these Christians, you read the the first few chapters of Acts and you say, well, they may be crazy and dysfunctional in some ways, but man, they're trying to live this out. They're trying to live this out. Now, one of the things that's going on is that people, because they're treating each other as family, people who have means and who have extra are selling property and they're taking the proceeds of that sale and they're bringing it to the church's common fund so that the church can help people who aren't doing so well, okay? So that's what's going on. That's what it means when they lay it at the feet of the apostles. And this man, Joseph, sells some property, and he donates 100% of the proceeds of the sale of that property to the church's common fund. In fact, the guy has such a personality, he's so generous, and he's such an encourager that they just give him the nickname Barnabas, which literally means the encourager. And that's what they start calling him in the church family. Luke mentions him 23 times in the book of Acts. Clearly, Barnabas or Joseph is one of his heroes in the early church. So this is where it gets interesting. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. And with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look good in the church family. All of us have had a tendency from time to time to want to look good in the church family and have the church family think well of us. And so they conspire together to act like they're giving all of the proceeds of the sale when in fact, they're only given a portion. The the word here, kept the rest, is the same verb used in the Greek Old Testament when Achan takes some of the stuff that they've looted from Jericho and buries it in the ground. Achan kept some of the plunder. And so Ananias and Sapphira kept some of the sale of the proceeds of this land. Now, Peter Peter is given the, the, the power of spritual insight in this moment, and it's like, you guys are lying. This happens in the church. I am not a prophet. I'm not even Pentecostal. I, like, okay? And from time to time, there was a lady in this congregation that was having an affair with somebody who wasn't her husband. And I just knew this was going on. Every week, she'd come to church, and I would say, you're not okay. You're in a very bad place. Do you want to talk about it? She wouldn't even look me in the eye. Nope, nope, no, nope, Pastor Max. Finally got to the point where she would say no while tears were streaming down her face, right? Like I was shocked that she could even bring herself to come into church, right? Because when you're doing something like that, you kind of want to avoid the God squad, God reminder thing, right? And so again, that's just, that happens, okay? And so in the early church, Peter has this spiritual insight that, that Ananias and Sapphira are lying. Here's the deal. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to give anything. 
There was no, the, the early church didn't pass a rule where it was like, show of hands, all the rich people got to give all the money anytime they sell property. Okay, passed into resolution. This is now a rule in the church. You got to do it. There was no gadus. They didn't have to do anything. And I have to wonder if there were some expectations and assumptions and all of these things that were playing out for them, like as a couple. Well, Barnabas did it, and then now all these other people are doing it, and we're also someone of means. What will the church family think of us if we don't do this? Will they think less of us? Will they think, right? And then instead of clarifying those things, they're going to Peter and the apostles and saying, look, here's the deal. We actually, we have some property, but we want to keep this. We need it for X. Like, is that okay? Or would you be okay with that? They don't do any of that. They don't deal direct. They make this decision in order to look good in the, in the church, and they deceive, they try to deceive the church. Well, Ananias is struck dead. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Some people say the shock just gave him a heart attack. This is an act of God, okay? And one of the things that Luke wants us to see by, by recording this in the history of the early church is he's wanting Christians to make a connection between the body of Christ and the Jewish temple. The body of Christ should be holy, just like the Jewish temple was supposed to be holy. And, and there, you're going to encounter people out there who do the whole, well, the God of the Old Testament is just different from the God of the New Testament. Like, the God of the Old Testament is just like, get him, get him, get him. And the God of the New Testament is just like, I love you. And they want to make this distinction. And I'm going to tell you, just read the New Testament. Little baby Jesus is coming back. When little baby Jesus comes back, what does he have following him? An army. What's coming out of his mouth? A sword. What is he wearing? Something dipped in blood. This is not like safe Christmas story type stuff. It's scary stuff, okay? So if you've ever struggled with hypocrisy, you've read about a famous Christian that had a moral failure or whatnot, and even though it's not your pastor, you're like, how could you, right? How could you be such a hypocrite? How could you have that hidden, right? God hates that every bit as much as you do. God loves all of us. God loves people, but God hates it when we're ensnared in those ways. God hates hypocrisy, okay? Well, this, this continues, verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Easily something that could have happened in the first century. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Now, Sapphira shows up three hours later, totally unaware of what's gone down. Unlike her husband, she has an opportunity to tell the truth. She has an opportunity to come clean, and she doesn't. And of course, she dies just like her husband, okay? And this is what uh, Luke tells us. How could the two of you think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord? Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Trust me, if something like that happened in this church family, there would be some fear, right? <laughs> you would show up on Sunday with a little bit of trepidation. I wonder what's going to happen this week. <laughs> okay. So let me ask a couple of questions. In light of what we see in the early church, in light of what God wants for us and in us, 
In what area of your life are you most tempted to lie? In what area of your life are you most tempted to lie? And then secondly, what assumptions are you making about other people? Particularly assumptions that might be causing you pain and confusion and misery. Now, here's the deal. When, when reality does not line up with expectations, you get disappointment, you get hurt, you get broken relationships, you get a train wreck, you get a big mess, okay? So I want to outline some differences between healthy and unhealthy expectations. And again, all of this, this entire series is based out of a work by Peter and Jerry Scazzerzo called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Same title, same content, chapter after chapter. So you want more, uh, look for Peter, uh, Peter Scazzerzo's Emotionally Healthy Relationships. So unhealthy expectations versus healthy expectations. Unhealthy expectations are unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken, and unagreed upon. Let me spell out what this means. Unconscious expectations are expectations you have, but you're not aware that you have them. When Jenny and I were dating and going to church together, I had an expectation of what going to church on time meant. I did not articulate that to her. We never discussed it. It was something that was in here, but something I wasn't completely aware of, and then would get mad at her at the end of church, <laughs> right? That's an unconscious expectation. Sometimes this surfaces when we have kids. We have kids. I've had three biological children. Um, I made my bed without being asked. I got straight A's in school. Sh shouldn't they just automatically do that the way I did? Or, or you might think I was really good in sports. I was the captain of the soccer team. Why can't my kids be athletic, right? So there's these expectations that we have that maybe aren't entirely conscious, okay? Um, and we don't always know that we have them. And then unhealthy expectations are unreasonable. I had a friend who uh, had, has had health issues her entire life. And she had an aunt back home that was retired. And anytime she went to the hospital, the aunt would sit in the hospital all day, all day with her. She moves here, the aunt's back home. She developed a friend and she thought that that friend, in order to be a good friend, would do what? sit in the hospital all day. Now, this friend had a high-powered job at the UK hospital. She couldn't get off like that. And their friendship had bumps, bumps, because the person who was sick in the hospital had this unreasonable expectation that she transferred from her aunt to her best friend. Unspoken, that's pretty obvious. Something that's not articulated or named out loud verbally. And then unagreed upon. Uh, I've done this. So in my marriage and in my home, I'm the acts of service guy. I'm the, if you want to love me, show me, do something, empty the dishwasher, take out the garbage, do something like that, right? Here's the deal, moms and dads, people. Just because you put a clothes hamper in somebody's room or in a bathroom or in a hallway does not mean the other people are going to put clothes in the hamper. Why? Because... <laughs> Because it's not agreed upon. Now, if you have a, a family powwow and you say, look, I am putting this hamper here and I have a clear expectation that if it comes off your body, it goes in this hamper. <laughs> and they say to you, 
you know what? That is a reasonable request, and I am willing to accommodate that request. And moving forward, anytime I take a piece of clothing off my body, I will, in fact, put it in that hamper. That's agreed upon. Anything other than that is not agreed upon. I've gotten mad more than once because I've come home and there's the kitchens had dishes everywhere, but there was nothing spoken or verbalized or agreed upon. And on the inside, I was stewing and stimming. And How's come nobody ever? Well, <laughs> so healthy expectations are conscious, realistic, spoken, and agreed upon. They're conscious. I am aware of my expectations. They're realistic. It's been done in the past. So uh, my friend who ha- ha- would have these procedures, and, and if, if her friend, if they had talked about it, you know what? When I go into the hospital for a procedure, I'd like you to be there all day. And the friend said, you know what? I'm willing to take off work. I can do that. I will do that for you. And she has shown up once or twice and done that and sat there all day. That's a reasonable expectation moving forward, Okay. Uh, They are spoken. I have expressed my expectations clearly. And then they're agreed upon. The other person has said, yes, I will do this or I will attempt to do this, okay? So let me me take this home, okay? And again, again, emotionally healthy relationships require us to clarify our expectations and require us to stop mind-reading, okay? So in in taking it home, I want to remind you that just like in the book of Acts, there are two kinds of people in the church, and they look the same from the outside. So I don't want you to do this in this room because it'll be awkward, but in churches, plural, all over the city, in church congregations, sitting in seats today, this morning, are Barnabas's and Ananias and Sapphira's. Sometimes you've gotten upset because you've encountered an Ananias or Sapphira, and you're like, you should be a Barnabas. Well, yes, they should, <laughs> right, in some ways. Uh, but in, in, this, uh, in this way that it plays out in the church, uh, you can't always tell from the outside. So when I was a pastor at Church of the Savior, which is our mother congregation, we had an elder who looked like all the other elders. He was kind. He was thoughtful. He was faithful. He had a loving demeanor to him. We did not know that he beat his wife and beat his son until the day we did know. Oh, what? Ananias and Sapphira. I have been fooled from time to time over the years. It happens, okay? So the thing to recognize is that in the church, You've got Ananias and Sapphira's and Barnabas's, and often they look the same from the outside. Now, two things to really take this home. First of all, please, please stop mind reading. You make a bad genie anyway. When you're guessing about what your husband or your wife or your mother-in-law or your kids or your friends or the people who work with you, (laughs) when you're guessing what they're thinking or feeling, more often than not, you're like, it's like blindfolded shooting an arrow. You know, you're not hitting anything. So stop mind reading. Stop mind reading. Um, when you and I make assumptions about other people and then we complain about those assumptions with friends who are willing to listen, we're actually bearing false witness. So let me go back to an example I brought up in the beginning. 
the husband and the wife, the husband who didn't call, if that wife had stormed off to bed and picked up her phone and called some of her friends and said, you're not going to believe what a stinky husband I have. And let me tell you what he did today. Now she's bearing false testimony about her husband and judging unfairly. Does the Bible have anything to say about bearing false testimony or judging unfairly? Yes, it does, which is why we need to clarify these expectations and assumptions. Um, The second thing that we can do is start having conversations. And so I'm going to give you a formula. Again, stealing it shamelessly. Use this. Ask your friend. Ask your husband. Ask whoever it is that you're not sure what's going on. I think you feel... Am I correct? This is clarifying assumptions. Let me give you some examples. I think you think I'm responsible for all the Christmas shopping this year. A little frosted about it. Am I correct? Is that what we're assuming together, that I'm going to do all the Christmas shopping this year? Um, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you think that you're, if I think you're a bad person because you forgot my birthday. Is that correct? Are you kind of feeling like you're in the doghouse because you forgot? I noticed that you haven't responded to my messages for a few days. That's unusual for you. Is everything okay? Um, I'm puzzled that you gave Mike and Danita such a big hug. I was standing right next to them at the end. Hug, hug, no hug. So I went home and did the boohoos because... Am I correct? Have I offended you? Have I stepped on your toes? When you do these kind of things, I'll tell you, you're going to be surprised because more often than not, what you think is going on inside of them is not what's going on inside of them, okay? This is why this is so critically important. I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. We're going to sing a song, but I'm going to give you an assignment, okay? And this is the assignment. I want you to think of a difficult relationship. It could be a spouse, a family member, a coworker, someone in the church family. Pick one relationship where maybe you've been mind reading. Sometime this week, write down their name, write down the assumption that you've been making. And I want you to pray about it. And then... I want you to have the courage to reach out to that person and name that assumption. I think you feel, or I think you think, am I correct? Just to kind of see if that's in fact what's really going on. Next month, in the month of May, I've got three weddings within a seven-day period. You know, COVID, you couldn't do anything, so now everybody's, you know, partying like it's 1999 and getting married. So one of the things that happens at weddings is you get a DJ if there's a dance thing. And I've mentioned this before at Generations. They do the, first of all, you're going to do the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? Dun-dun-dun. That's every wedding. And then if the DJ's feeling particularly, you know, whatever, he'll do the, all the married couples come to the dance floor. And then to kind of jab the newly bride and groom, everybody married five years or less, sit down. <laughs> Ten years or less, sit down. And they'll go through this till they get to like 40 or 45 years. 
And then there's just a couple of old people teetering on the dance floor, right? And they're looking at each other with some twinkle in their eye and everybody else is thinking, that's what I want. Now, here's the deal. Singleness, being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. Doesn't matter whether you're married or single. But getting to a point where your relationships are good means that you're doing the hard work of today to stop mind reading and clarify expectations. That's how you get to those moments, whether it's with a husband or a wife, whether it's with adult children or you're an adult yourself and you're trying to have that kind of relationship with your parents or friends or coworkers, it doesn't matter. Like it takes the hard work of today to get there. So again, I kind of want to come back to my big idea for the day. Please, please stop mind reading. Stop mind reading. Guilty. I've done it. Guilty. Stop mind reading. Clarify expectations by talking to people in person and not talking to them in your head.